0: Hello, everybody. This is Colin, and you're listening to episode four of season four of The Abstract Podcast. Today, we're talking about a giveaway, talking about fast food, Lent, maybe a Mars Rover, and also a tweet and Tainted Voices.
1: Alright, episode 4. We have so much to get to today, which is fun, because sometimes we come into the studio and we we just make a lot of stuff up. We don't really know what we're going to talk about, but today we actually we have a lot to get to. First thing we want to get to is something that I think is really cool, and it is for you listeners. So we're going to do a giveaway, and we're not posting this on social media. We're not broadcasting this out into the digital streams. It's for the elect. It is for the elect. So if you're listening to these words, what you want to do is just email, not email, sorry, go to our Facebook page or our Instagram page or whatever. Just find a way to send us a message that says, I heard and I want. And what that's going to do is we're going to put you in the drawing and we're going to give away a book to a winner. A book of your choosing. Yeah, so that's the cool thing. It's not like we're picking out a book that we think you need to read and pushing that on you. We just want you to have a book that you want, so enter in the giveaway Just send us a message say hey i heard what you were saying and i want the book and since not a ton of people listen i mean we have a good following but not a ton of people listening your odds of winning are pretty good and then we'll buy you the book that you choose and mail it to you up to 15 dollar value so you can't buy like a systematic theology something like that that would that would not be fair or um nice budgetable to college students that's right So do that. Enter. You could win. It'll be great. Mm -hmm. All right, Colin, start us off. All right. So for fast food, we've been having people
0: been voting on the fast food brackets. Got a lot of good feedback on that. Um, So where we're at currently. um, So right now we have, we could quick just run through the winners. So McDonald's Waffle House, McDonald's takes that one. Dairy Queen Jimmy John's, Dairy Queen takes that one. Firehouse and Little Caesars. This was one of the toughest matchups of the tourney, I thought. Um, but Firehouse did edge that one out. Wait. Um,
1: what, are we seeing the same thing?
0: I don't know if we're seeing I'm Bracket of champions.
1: Yeah, I see McDonald's against Dairy Queen.
0: Right, but in the first round winnings. Oh, yeah. So that's second round. Gotcha. Um, anyway, uh, so Panda Express beat out Burger King. Taco Bell beat Tim Hortons. Arby's beat Whataburger. Popeye's beat In-N-Out Burger. Wendy's beat Culver's, Chick-fil-A beat Del Taco, Sonic beat, I didn't know what that is, Quadabo. Sure. Uh, And then Checkers beat out Jack in the Box, Hardee's beat out Long John Silver's, Subway beat Mm. out Cookout, Five Guys beat out Bojangles, and okay, this is a complete upset and a travesty. Um, Chipotle beat out Zaxby's. Not actually Um, an upset. And Moe's beat out KFC. And then...
1: There goes my bracket. So now we come to the elite eight after another round of play. That's so right. you got McDonald's, Firehouse Subs, Arby's, Wendy's, Chick Fil A, Hardee's, Five Guys, Chipotle. This is the people have spoken. These is the elite eight. So what we did is we put it out. This is proof on- democracy groupthink can fail. <laughs> put it out to our people, and actually a lot of people voted, like quite a few. So in. The McDonald's Firehouse Subs battle, Colin. Who do you got? And then I'll tell you what the listeners McDonald's said. McDonald's Firehouse? Firehouse yeah. every day. Fifty-seven of our listeners said firehouse, only twenty-seven for McDonald's. We're with the listeners so far. The That's people have spoken. Up. All right, moving on. Arby's versus Wendy's. You got the roast beef, and you got the frosty and the junior bacon cheeseburger and Dave's singles. Who you got? I got Arby's with the, the Turkey Euro, hard to beat. That's fair. Our listeners said otherwise. 54 people Um, voted for Wendy's, only 33 for Arby's. So, closer. Sure. All right. Over on the other side, you have Chick-fil-A, the Lord's anointed chicken versus Hardee's. Now, I just want to preface before you answer. The people spoke almost with direct revelation (laughs) from the Lord. (laughs) 85 people voted for Chick-fil-A, only six for Hardee's. And those six... Are not the elect. <laughs> yeah, no kidding.
0: Um, yeah, I'm going to have to go to Chick-fil-A on this one, although I do like a good Hardee's thick burger or breakfast frisco.
1: Yeah, and, you know, to be fair, um, it's not like everyone in the United States has Chick-fil-A. Yeah, this it's is true. not in, right you
0: know. I don't know if they have Hardee's either, but.
1: They have Carl's Jr. a lot of out yeah, west. more. All right, so for our final, just got an email from Trailer Todd. I'm not sure what that's about. Our final one, Five Guys versus Chipotle. This was very close for our audience Five Guys. Five Guys? The audience took Chipotle by seven votes. 49-42. But Five Guys is good. And I feel like, I don't know, I've not been to Five Guys near as much. But I I would Mm. agree with you, probably. I don't know. Chipotle's Um, good, too. I don't know. I've had a bad experience at Chipotle. Better experiences at Five Guys. You know, speaking of bad experiences, I've had some really bad experiences at Waffle House. It's tainted for me. I just won't go. The other day, it was on Monday, actually. I was meeting someone for breakfast, and we tried... One place, and it wasn't open. And we went to another place then, and it wasn't open. So we ended up at Huddle House. And I was actually pleasantly surprised. The yep. same person who took our order also made our food, <laughs> which is a little scandalous in my opinion, but it was pretty good.
0: Yeah, I'm, I I actually I, I like Waffle House and Huddle House.
1: Yeah. Yep. I'll eat there gladly. I guess I'm slowly being redeemed. I just had yeah. a really bad experience. Come back to the bright side. Um, Today, Colin, okay. is the first day of Lent. That's right. The Lenten journey towards Easter.
0: Yes, it is. So today's Ash Wednesday. So in brief, what Lent is, is it's a time. Uh, This is summarized by Robert Weber in his book, Ancient Future Time, in which he basically outlines the Christian year. Um, So this is in the cycle of life. Um, And it's a time to travel with Jesus towards his death. Although Jesus is under constant attack, he ministers effectively to the crowds. Lent follows the gathering storm, um, so it begins Ash Wednesday, and then it's a six-and-a-half-week period um, before Easter. That includes Palm Sunday, and it ends at sunset on Thursday of Holy Week. And Lent is a time for repentance through self-examination and renewal through identification with the journey of Jesus. A time for prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Nice. So... Um, I know. Last year, we got to attend um, like an early morning Ash Wednesday service. Yeah, we service. went together, right? We went to yeah. the, it was a Catholic service. Yeah. So I was disappointed this year. I have to leave too early for work, so I couldn't couldn't attend one uh, this year. Um, but would strongly encourage it if you have a chance. Um, but any thoughts on on Lent for you? I, did you attend a service this morning?
1: No, I didn't. I went to chapel here on campus, but they actually didn't really focus on Lent at all. I was a little surprised. I know last year. I think they did. Or in the past, I know they've like done the ash thing on the yeah, forehead. I think it was
0: more of a Stratton thing.
1: Uh, true, different leadership. So, so. Yeah, so one idea that I've been hearing, I don't think it's a new idea, but just kind of a new highlight this year, um Alicia was kind of telling me about this is, you know, for Lent, we often think of of giving things up for Lent. Mm. Um but you don't have to necessarily give something up. It's right. it's maybe even better kind of framed as like just doing something to orient yourself towards looking right. towards Easter. Kind of the same way that we do with Advent, where we, we look towards Christmas and Christ's coming. Here we look toward Easter, mm-hmm. Christ's death, and resurrection. And I don't know. One of the things that I think is so um, cool about Lent is that it's 40 days. Am mm-hmm. I right in that? It's 40 yeah. days. And 40 is a very symbolic number. Um, you have 40 days and nights. Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days. Isn't it 40 years mm-hmm. in the wilderness, mm-hmm. the people? Yeah. 40 is a, it's always a number of testing and trial. and um, So I think that's why Lent is 40 days. But uh, So anyway, kind of along those lines, for Lent this year, I've decided I'm going to, I'm not sure if it's a good idea, but I think it's going to be a good idea. Instead of giving something up, I'm going to commit myself to reading um, some words of Christ every morning, or I should say every day of yeah. Lent. And so I think I've chosen the Sermon on the Mount Mm-hmm. in Matthew. Um, or actually this morning I started with, the, is it the Sermon on the Plain that's mm-hmm. in Luke, but yeah. it's it's yeah. like really similar, maybe the same thing. And so just, I want just, to just try and see what that's like. For more than a month, read the same mm-hmm. thing every day. I mean, I don't know if I'll memorize it, but I'll be very familiar with it by the end. And I think that'll be really good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm doing similar things with guided readings um, through it and reading historic prayers along with it that have, gone with the Lenten tradition um, but a lot of what it is is I'm doing the same kind of thing um, through prayers of the Psalms and through the words of Christ um, mm-hmm. identifying with his with his journey through his life death and resurrection and primarily like using especially the time of Lent to focus on my own like meditate on death mm. um, yeah because that's what's coming yeah, yeah. and so like um, so like in the words of like Stanley Howard was he defines Christianity as it's practicing dying early that's continually what you're doing as a christian you're practicing dying early and so like i think for me it's just a time to sit back and um like even in a season where it feels more harried and busy and things like that um so like this morning was joining christ as he had headed into the wilderness um and like that's how So that would be today on the yeah calendar. so that's that's yeah. the imagery of of today you you join christ in the wilderness and in that wilderness you pray psalms 51 which is david's repentance psalm after Bathsheba, and you pray for basically a new heart, new heart, and confess, um, and confess your sins, and and meditate on, on death, basically, and your coming death, and how to die early and die well, die early.
1: Yeah, I seen someone share a C. S. Lewis post, It was I guess C. S. Lewis said this. The meme said or said that he did. There's something about make sure you die while you still have the chance, mm-hmm. like die on this side of eternity, yeah. <laughs> while you still have the chance. I thought that was a really interesting way of framing it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, that's really good. And I am I, a big advocate of living as much as possible in the Christian year. I think it's mm. hugely formative and orient like I think think of orientation um, and how you center yourself through the next 40 days. And I was fine because I think um, in in Robert Weber's book, Ancient Future Time, he puts um, a good word on it in how many evangelical churches find themselves Easter morning. Um, having not even <laughs> considered death yet. Yeah. Um,
1: and so I think Lent's a, a yeah. great
0: preparatory time um, for that.
1: But. Yeah, it's the same thing as Christmas, right? Like yeah. You appreciate finally Jesus has finally come, if we've been looking for him Yeah. for the last weeks and weeks in Advent. Rather than just like, oh, Jesus came or, oh, right. the resurrection. Did he die? Yeah, I like having know. to
0: celebrate the whole life, death, and resurrection of Jesus in one morning. just uh, <laughs> It's a lot. <laughs> it's it's a lot. And I think practicing, like recognizing patterns of death in your life and and um, really, really just, I don't know, self-reflecting for that long um, and on the death of Christ and of his life, I don't know, it, it sets you up well for, for Easter morning.
1: I remember one, it was an episode— last season we talked about how um, the more that a narrative is able to account for the more powerful it is so yeah. this works in politics and really yep. all of life but so I think we we access the power of the Christian narrative when we allow it to do things like this to shape the way that we see our year the way that we're gonna let yeah. the way we're gonna see our next six weeks is is through looking for Christ to come and then Palm Sunday and then his death and resurrection yeah that's good. All right, we have a lot to get to, so right. moving on to our next issue. Probably going to mispronounce this, but Gina Carano fired over a tweet. At least that's what the article says. The article was written by Barry Weiss, and it was titled, Gina Carano and Crowdsourced McCarthyism. So Anytime you hear McCarthyism, yeah. it's not good. <laughs> I just hope that they don't do that to me and make my name into a term that people use yeah. to, to bash each other with. So Barry Weiss, she used to be a... Times reporter, if I'm correct, right? Yeah, I don't know much about her. I know she either currently does or used to write for the New York Times.
0: She she resigned from the Times. So I'm not sure who oh, she okay. I don't know if she's freelance now or not. Um, but she resigned over uh, for another time. But yeah, she, I, I think she's no longer with the New York Times.
1: Yeah, the article I'm looking at is through Substack. So that's not really a prominent mm-hmm. thing. It's what you, you – anyway. So she writes, Carano, a former MMA fighter and actress, plays the, the bounty hunter – Cara Dune on the series, which was, um, help me out here. Uh, the, the Mandalorian. Mandalorian, yes. okay. Or she did until Lucasfilm announced that she was fired and her agency dropped her shortly afterwards. So what did Carano do? Her sin is her politics. She's a conservative. Among her views expressed via social media are the following. Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself. And pronouns in her bios are worthy of mockery. I'm not entirely sure. Well, anyway. I think this was after,
0: um, this was after some of the transgender pronouns legislation
1: came yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. She, so in kind of a, just kind of a jab at the culture around that. She wrote "beat bop boop" in her bio instead of yeah. like "she her female" kind of thing. Right. She's the rare celebrity that has a parlor account. So the Which tweet, is kind of a right wing, yeah, right, think tank. So the tweet that she shares. Is, it's a picture of what I presume to be a Jewish woman who's running down the street and being chased by a lot of people. And I've actually seen some other people share this as well. The tweet reads, Jews were beaten in the streets, not by Nazi, sol- Nazi soldiers, but by their neighbors, even by children. And then it goes on, because histori- history is edited, most people today don't realize... That to get to the point where Nazi soldiers could easily round up thousands of Jews, the government first made their own neighbors hate them simply for being Jews. How is that any different from hating someone for their political views? And so over this tweet, essentially, she gets fired from her position on The Mandalorian, where she was like an
0: actor. And I didn't see, did you see like um, from the from the company or whatever, like what the exact reason, like within the tweet, was that got her fired?
1: I think they were saying it was anti-Semitic. Okay. Like racist against Jews because she was comparing what uh, happened okay. to Jews yeah. to what's happening to, you know, I don't know, like conservatives today. Um, The article goes on. Gina Carano said, I was in utter shock and confusion when certain people said it was anti-Semitic. Then as I went to take it down, I noticed that the image was not the same as the one people were referencing. I honestly was confused. Should I take it down or leave it up? I still don't know the answer to that question because taking it down only makes the mob attack you more. And then the author writes, the bottom line here is that intent matters. It doesn't just matter a little bit. Our entire culture, our entire justice system hinges on it. Mm -hmm. And so what Barry Weiss in her article here is arguing is that it actually does matter what Gina Carano was trying to say when she posts this tweet. Um, I think notable to point out is that this guy named Pedro Pascal, Mm -hmm. who I think was also an actor on the same set. I do not know. Or at least with the same company, posted a meme that said, hashtag this is America. And on the top it's got Germany and people behind barbed wire fence. Mm -hmm. And then on the bottom it says America 2018 and it's got kids in cages. And nobody bothers him about this, right? Yeah. And so what this is pointing out is it's incredibly unfair that – a conservative gets cancelled and fired for essentially doing the exact same thing mm. as someone else, and this is apparently a double standard. so I wanted to hear your thoughts on this. I will say I think this is really unfair
0: yeah and and I think um I mean even like the article continues then um if intent doesn't matter, we delve into a world of that, that is going to eventually be devoid of a lot of meaning. Um, if, if words, because if you take the intent, you take a lot of the intended meaning away from the words, which therefore could take away a lot of, um, the power of the words that they would have initially. Um, uh, so I don't know when I saw it, I just thought it was kind of, um, I mean, it was just kind of lunacy um a little bit in my view, even though I I mean even it's that's not a thing to say I endorse I mean for one thing I just think the comparisons with nineteen hundreds <laughs> Germany we just need to stop. Right. A and lot the of that.
1: points that out a good rule of thumb is to avoid comparing America to nineteen thirties yeah. Germany. You're a political opponent to Nazis and yourself and your allies to Jews. Yeah. What Karana wrote or likely repeated and shared was wrong because the Holocaust is a singular evil. So Yeah.
0: Yeah that's I and I think that's a good point. I just, I don't know, the whole the, the comparisons with Nazi Germany just need to, I think, <laughs> fall by the wayside right. um, in a lot of ways. But, no, it reminded me of a story of a New York Times reporter who recently got fired um, because, and this one goes all the way back to 2019, um, but Donald McNeil Jr., um, who used to work for the New York Times, he worked as a tour guide for high school students who were traveling to Peru. Um, and he got into an argument with several of them and the debate centered around whether one of the students classmates deserved to have been suspended over a video of her as a 12 year old saying the N word and McNeil, according to the statement released by the times asked about the context of the word, so that word. So that's why he was, he got in the argument with him because mm-hmm. he wanted to know, you know, was she rapping, quoting a book or was she using it as a, you know, racial epitaph, um, but McNeil's distinction apparently made little headway um, with his interlocutors who accused him of using the term himself because he said the term in the conversation. Wow. And so um, two weeks ago, it was first reported by the Daily Beast. And then, so at first the Times editor, Dean Backwit, I think is how you say his name, argued that McNeil's action was regrettable, but that he deserved another chance to learn from the mistake. But after 150 New York Times staffers wrote to express their outrage. Uh, McNeil resigned, um, and he gave off some, you could tell, forced apology to get his pension money and all that. Uh, But I think it's the same kind of idea. Like, the intent of saying the N-word did not matter. Um, It didn't matter if you were reading Huckleberry Finn and you see the word or if you were using it as a racial slur. That's irrelevant. It's the fact that you even said the word, which, I mean, careful I say this, I would love if that word would just go out of existence. Period. Um, in my mind, that would be that would be a much better thing to happen. Um, but just the the nuttiness of if intentions of what you mean by what you say does not apply. But simply and and, and um, the article this is from rightly pointed out that if you just do like a um, content search through the times, they've used it 1,200, they've used the yeah, n-word 1,200 sometimes in using it for descriptive things mm-hmm. and, and um, you know, um, even just conversations about should this word ever be used kind of right. thing. <laughs> um, and they've used it themselves as a company you know, however many times. So if they're really going to be you know, consistent, they would need to go and then purge themselves of all uncleanness as well. Um, but it, it's a similar story and
1: a similar problem that's that's hit on hey guys Javen here just want to break in really fast to tell you about really cool things that are going on with Eagle Radio Um, one of our friends named David is managing all of the Eagle Radio social media and we're going to be doing giveaways like every other week so if you follow us on Instagram keep your eye out you could be winning cool things like Amazon gift cards Burger King gift cards Sonic gift cards just gift cards in general keep your eye out we'll be coming at you soon So I think this leads us into our – kind of the next thing I wanted to talk about, which is – I just titled it here in our document. So who is fighting the power? So this came from a Brian Francis Calkin post that I read. And those of you who have been listening for a long time, I'm a really big fan of Brian Francis Calkin. He just – he has a way of articulating things and framing issues that just few people do. And I just – he especially writes well about um, culture – and technology and the forces that are shaping it's the status quo. It's kind of amazing, quo. too, because he
0: doesn't even live in America.
1: No, but he has. He has, yeah. Yeah, he lives in, like, Peru, I think. I think so, He's yeah. A really interesting guy. So I'm not going to read the whole post because it's quite long, but um, Calkin says, What is so remarkable today in our shared ideological space is how the liberal worldview experiences itself as being a rebel when, in fact, it is beginning to resemble a dictator. All American liberals secretly see themselves as rebels. They see themselves as fighting the power. But the truth is they are themselves the power, and the technical system they preside over is now being programmed to silence anyone who would dare challenge it. There is a dangerous closure closure happening right now in America in which, quote, the rebel and, quote, the dictator, two archetypes that are classically opposed to one another, are becoming one and the same. I thought this was a really interesting take And I think, I mean, I think what he's saying is legitimate. Like, I mean, the power of cancel culture Hmm. on Twitter, if like there was that story, I forget what her name was, but this woman who, who sent out a tweet, got on an airplane where you, you know, you have your phone in airplane mode, you don't have access to the internet. When she landed, she was like, I mean, her career was over. People had attacked her for what she had said it had got so many thousand comments and retweets yeah. like it was just over for her she'd been fired and it was over and it was like i mean you send something you get on an airplane and when you land it's done like that's how fast these things can go and so what Kalkin is saying is fighting the power i mean they are the power mm-hmm. what do you think about this yeah no and
0: i think i think what's remarkable to me is how so you have this You have this dynamic going on with what we could, I guess, classically see as more of like cancel culture kind of ideas. You have it in which your words mean so much. uh, But then at the same time, you also have where words mean so little. So I know we weren't going to talk about politics as much on this podcast, (laughs) but I'm going through right now where you have the most powerful man in the U.S. incite violence and use words to conjure up emotion and stir up a crowd into a frenzy. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, to rush one of our most sacred spaces as a nation and yet is left off the hook for taking the accountability for those words and how they affected those crowds there in D.C. back on January 6th. And so in that way, those words meant nothing, but yet these words mean everything. So anyway, I mean, I say that because, yeah, I don't know, this uh, fighting the power rhetoric it seems that on both sides each one is convinced they are the minority they are the oppressed the oppressed yeah. and and um so i mean that's complicated moving moving forward because i've heard that yeah many times on the on the right like we have to this is our last chance to take a stand i mean that was the whole rhetoric of of qAnon taking back you know and the conspiracy theories of the capital was that President Trump is our one last hope. Yeah, and against, I even mean, Trump
1: himself, make America right. great again. It right. was, if we don't do this now, we never will be able to. Right. right. Um,
0: And, and now, I, I mean, obvious caveat is the power, the institutional power of the left is immense. I mean, even something simple, like, and we may have talked about it before, even something simple, like in the Amy Comey, Barry, Comey, Amy Comey Barrett trials, right. um, you know, in which she said, was it sexual orientation or sexual preference? I forget. But she basically said she wouldn't discriminate Um, based on that. And within 24 hours, if you Googled that in the Webster's dictionary, it literally changed its meaning to become offensive just because it was deemed offensive Mm -hmm. when she said it in the trials. Um, and that was the reaction. So I mean, like that's, that's kind of a caricature of a wider reality, but, but in general, the left has an immense, immense cultural and institutional power. Um, but i think sometimes what i see is that this power is almost over exaggerated over exaggerated um and cuz i think if you look statistically at left and right viewings um, i stuck in a couple just things but like fox news is s- surpasses the new york times in viewership in salary
1: um in well, amount yeah, of money there almost um what is this metric? Yeah, so then this like, is— Like, shares, comments. I mean, it's only, it's almost twice as much as CNN. It's actually more than twice as much as CNN.
0: Yeah, and I mean, you can see New York Times down there at 87 million, and then Fox News is up at 448 million. Um, so, again, they blow it out of there. And then even on YouTube, um, video views is roughly split down the middle uh, between left and right. Some of your most searched topics on Facebook, the two—some of the most bench Shapiro's, right? You know, mm-hmm. top 10. Um with someone like Tucker Carlson,
1: top ten, so yeah, yeah. So I mean, I think what's another interesting facet of this was when Gina Carano got fired from the Mandalorian. Like instantly, the Ben Shapiro's company like is is a it's a it has a lot of power now yeah. and like money. So they like produce their own like movies now apparently, and so they hired her as an actor like right away to be on their set and to be an actor for them. I guess they can do that now they. They do that movies. kind of stuff. Yeah, they like make really? productions now apparently. Okay, so I thought that was really interesting. But um, like I, I love uh Calkin because he he always he just kind of frames things differently yeah. than most people. And like it's funny when people try to argue with him and comment threads because he just he's saying something else. Yeah. yeah, he's just saying something else, and like he's he's not really arguing for one or the other. But I think I, I take Calkin's point and I agree with him. Like I think the left. Has, I'm not gonna say always, but at least now, like it's it's the rebel, mm-hmm. it's the one fighting the power, trying to be on the side of the the oppressed and marginalized and that kind of thing. But, and and Culkin saying they're becoming a dictator because they're owning right. kind of the cultural space. But I guess I would say to Calkin that is true. But it just it's almost impossible, I think, to make any general blanket statements about this kind of thing because it matters. So much about what context you're talking about. If you're talking about Twitter as a whole, yeah, I think that's true. If you're talking about Facebook, maybe. But I mean, like even like geography matters yeah. so much. Like I would say, here in the South, the liberals do not have the cultural power.
0: I yeah. mean, I mean, I, cause I even thought of it. Like even simply going to a space. Like we were in Atlanta recently together, you know. And yeah. like it does just in a sense. I mean, it's still it's still the South, but in a sense, you can kind of feel there's a shift. Um, and I think especially, like, times I – mean, the time I think of it most distinctly is when we visited Portland together. Yeah. Like, you always feel like you're basically in a different country. Or when I've been in New York City, like, it feels like you're in a different country. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's hardly the same. So I don't know you can make how how large of – you just need a lot of qualifiers, it seems like, before some of those statements.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I just think that it, it just makes you – it makes you talk about, like, spaces. And you, you just – there's not one thing that's right for – every place like you right. have to define what you're talking about and kong is talking about technology as a yeah. whole and so i mean i get what he's saying right but, absolutely i mean i feel I like agree with that. in my community and in my spheres if you are a liberal <laughs> you are fighting the power because that is not the predominant ideology that is not the status quo at all yeah, you sure. have but if you're a conservative and even like a super alt-right conservative by voicing your opinions there's almost like it, that doesn't cost you anything because that is the status quo no. in the deep south in Georgia where we're recording this podcast. Yeah. I mean, but then it's going to depend on if you're here at Toccoa Falls College or down at the gas station. Like right. so, it's it's all about context. Yeah, but it's just it's interesting to me that what it means to fight the power looks different depending on where you're standing because the the power is in different hands. for yeah. sure.
0: Yeah, and it's it's uh, I mean you can you can see why the rhetoric takes off then for both sides really because um, I mean it's a great rallying cry um, and and like I mean yeah like what you're saying if you're in one of those geographic locations so if you're in a place in the deep south um, you know and you want to start you know getting a conversation going about this you can easily make an appeal to look what the crazy Democrats yeah. did here's another thing we're pushing back against and you can you can. Um, You can stir that pot really fast and bring a lot of people on board with that conversation versus I'm I'm sure you could do the same and live in a highly liberal space, Mm -hmm. but I'm sure you could do the same there as well. And and so, no, I think that just goes to your point that it it does just depend on what your context is with that. But everyone's fighting the power um, and kind of the old um, adage when everyone's a rebel, no one really is um, kind of holds true, I think, with this. Um, yeah, although, I mean, I would say, like, generally, I, I do think you can make some, you know, qualitative statements that I do think generally, institutionally, you do see a left um, power structure in, in institutions more than, more than a right in some ways. But I think that gets over-exaggerated very quickly.
1: Yeah. And, I mean, you have to also talk about what historical context you're talking in. I mean, obviously you're talking about the present, but I was listening to mm-hmm. a podcast episode about um, Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah. He's, I really like his stuff. He was even talking about his dad who was at, I think it was Georgia Tech. His dad was a researcher. No, his dad was in Jamaica. I don't know. His dad was a mathematician. But, like, he was alive during the time where black people were not allowed to go to Georgia Tech. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, this is not things, if if the left holds the power now, it certainly didn't mm. 50 years ago. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah. like, it's it's constantly changing. And I think it's also really interesting and helpful just to think about the way that the different sides are oriented. So when you have I mean the notion of conservative is conserving what we had. It's it's past oriented. Right. They're, you know, making America great again, assuming that it was great in the past and we're trying to take it back there. Liberals are future oriented. We we're pushing out into the unknown. Hmm. Obama's poster was like, you know, we we can change things. Yeah. I forget exactly what the yeah. Yes, we can. Uh, yes, we can. Yeah. Yeah, but it's it's future oriented, and so then some. Tr- we try to live somehow in the middle, and then it, even as Christians, try to figure out what th- what that looks like for us. And it's probably not grabbing a lot of power.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I think you're exactly right with that. Speaking um, of Christians. Yeah. Let's go on with talking about power, and Christians. Some uh, really troubling news out of evangelical leadership spaces. Um, it was back last Thursday. Um, Miller and Martin is an independent um, investigation agency. Is it, is it
1: Mennonite by chance? <laughs> it sounds like it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, they finished up their investigation and, and published their findings um, of well-known evangelical apologist Robbie Zachariah, who recently passed in the past, I don't know, year, year and a half. It hasn't been that long. Um, so they recently published what they found and as more and more information has come out since initially in 2017, it has become more and more troubling. And this report was kind of the final straw. There was, there was just so much junk that this man was doing. Yeah. Um, I mean, in a lot of ways, kind of a, a serial adulter, um, adulterer.
1: Yeah. Like rape, just One kind sexual of rape. immorality, um,
0: 200 women um, from all around the world. He had their contacts on their phone, on on his phone. Um, He had images of them, um, very lucid images, explicit images. Um, His massage parlor in which he solicited um, sexual favors and things like that, all under the guise of religious language. Um, Yeah. To say it's disturbing is not even... to. I mean... just, I mean, one example of it is after this woman that he used ministry funds to help her because she was she was in a tough spot money-wise, in return for that, he wanted sexual favors for using ministry money to help her. After, you know, coercing her into that kind of relationship, he then wants her— to pray and thank God for the opportunity they had to cross paths. I mean, it is that kind of obscenity. Um, I mean, just the more you read, the more it was just darker yeah, and darker, it was, and it was just disturbing greatly. Um, and and the fact that for years he was actually publicly defended. Um, I was actually reading, uh, so Russell Moore back in 2017, right after the first one's, Um, of Lorianne Thompson, the first woman to come out. Um, Right after she came out um, with her allegations against Zachariah, Robbie Zachariah was supposed to speak at a racial justice conference with Russell Moore. Um, And when Russell Moore heard of these allegations, he went to Robbie Zachariah and said, I need an answer for these before I share a stage with you. And Robbie couldn't really provide him with an answer besides saying that he basically blamed her that she was just trying to basically be a gaslighter mm-hmm. um, and create something that wasn't there. But he couldn't give a good, coherent answer. And and also, the the independent board of trustees—or or the, not the independent—the the board of trustees said they would look into it. For his ministry. For his ministry. And they did look into it, but they never confiscated his personal devices. Yeah, I remember reading that um, report. Which is kind of unbelievable. Anyway, so— since Russell Moore didn't feel like he got a good answer, he actually he, he canceled really. Um he he told Ravi Zachariah he's not welcome there. And he got a lot of pushback from Ravi and other members of his of his um elder board. Um and, and Russell Moore said, like if it's proven false, great yeah. and I'll take you back, whatever, and I'll I'll be sorry. But he said, I see no reason to do that right now. And so he did not share a stage with them all the way back in twenty seventeen. Wow but he is one of the few ones I know that at the very beginning um did not raise sincere questions of Robbie Zachariah.
1: Yeah, David French's um article, it was just amazing to me. I mean, just the amount of people who stood up and defended yeah. Ravi Zacharias. Is it Zachariah or Zacharias? I honestly don't know. I yeah. say Zachariah, but I don't know. Ravi. Just I mean, at great un- like unending lengths. Like yeah. this man could not have done wrong. We're not even gonna take these reports seriously. We're not gonna look into it seriously yeah. because He's just... He couldn't have. Yeah. Yeah. one I think the most striking line from David French's article was a quote. He said, Former Ravi Zacharias International Missions apologist Daniel Gilman described being haunted by the fact that the apologists on our team are not simply apologists for Jesus, but also for Ravi. And I was like, wow, like there it is. <laughs> These people are not just... On the side of Jesus, like, they're also on the side of Ravi. He can yeah. do no wrong. He is our man. We stand by him no matter what. And I was like, wow, how familiar does that language sound? And then, like, you just see this tremendous fall mm, from grace, yeah. just awful. And yeah. finally it comes out, all this stuff. And so, I mean, there's there's a thousand questions that we're left with. And I know even, like, I think for the generation older than us, this is probably even harder Maybe than for us yeah. because Robbie was someone I heard on ninety point nine growing up. Like I heard his little like bits of. But his we were sermons. kind of on the tail end of that. Yeah, yeah. And he just to me was kind of like a Billy Graham or something like someone everyone likes. But yeah. you know whatever. And from but what I've like,
0: seen though, he was the person that kind of united intellect and faith for a lot of you know the generation. Yeah, he was
1: us. intellect and yeah. faith. That was kind of his his specialty. And I know so many people like looked up to him and were yeah. like, he was very. Mean, you saw this when he died. Yeah. So I didn't have that like horrible experience of someone I trusted, you Mm -hmm. know, kind of betraying me. But I know a lot of people did. So anyway, the question, one of the questions that we're left with is, what do we do with his work, Yeah, right, that was so formative for so many Christians? And, I mean, I think it's not, um, the. I guess you could say God used to bring to Mm -hmm. faith, like so many different people. What do you do with all his work, all his writings, all his sermons? And, you know, this question was actually present for me because I'm doing a class right now called Romans and Galatians. And the professor of that class is um, very, I don't know how to say it, great guy, very um, traditional, mm-hmm. kind of old school. And um, one of the kind of course readings was a Ravi Zacharias reading that he had just put in there. And so I found myself sitting on my couch in my living room being like, you know, how? and this was right after this came out. I was like, how comfortable do I feel using Ravi's material now to do my yeah. assignment or to take his – view on it was like inclusivism versus exclusivism about how Jesus Christ reveals himself to the world. How comfortable am I reading something Ravi wrote about yeah. this after he was so hypocritical and just dark? Like what do we do with this guy's work yeah. now? Yeah. What do yeah, you think about those that? are
0: I mean, I think for me personally I am mean, like like right now I don't even want to read any of his work. Yeah. Um, like the stuff that's come out, I don't know why You would want to right now. Um, One question I did find myself thinking, though, is, um, you know, what difference with this? You know, this is all posthumous. You know, he's dead. Um, This is all primarily came out since he's passed. Um, You know, would it make a difference if it was the kind of thing where he came clean and repented of it? Right. Um, I think it would. Um, In my mind, it definitely would. Um, But, you know, knowing that how defensive he was of his own self. (laughs) Right. And that he took the stuff to the grave with him. Um, I honestly don't know. I want much of a part of that. And and I know there is a way to kind of, you know, eat the meat, spit out the bones. <laughs> yeah. Um, But I just think it makes it really hard because to discern, like, I don't know. You, when it's that kind of person, for me, they've lost a lot of their integrity and authority when they're teaching a lot of, I mean, a lot of his teaching was
1: around ethics. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, like, I mean— Another way I was thinking about this was, I don't really have a problem with secular scholarship, even mm-hmm. of the Bible. Like right. I'm definitely right. willing to read non-believers' work on the scriptures or mm-hmm. on ethics or I mean on anything. Right? Absolutely. So it's like, okay, so why is that different than Robbie? But I think it's different because they they're not claiming to be Christians. Preaching mm-hmm. one thing and doing another thing. I think that is a lot different, actually.
0: Yeah, I think so. And I think there's also a difference between a general secularity and serial, serial you know, adultering. Right. Um, and and utilizing the power of a position and of your own religion to coerce women into giving you favors in the favor of a higher cause. Yeah.
1: I mean, that's just a different plane. Yeah, I don't think you can pervert Christianity more then yeah, I mean that is like the definition of using God's name in vain. Yeah, is using it to like yeah. get women in a position where you take advantage of it. Right, them. absolutely. Yeah. And and I think then I mean so that's why I
0: just see it on two different two different planes. And and you know if if that would come out of the person you know who you know the secular scholar, I don't know. I think I would have it would not leave quite because his appeal for his reasoning and things like that was not to a higher power um, or to transcendence, whereas Zacharias was. Um and so I don't know I, to me they would be in a different different form but at the same time I wouldn't want if it would be the same kind of claims I just think in general I would tend to steer clear even if secular or religious but especially because of it being um Christian I definitely would and and I found it interesting reading through just different publishers and pastors takes on what to do with his work and and compiled a few of them um Maybe the most notable was probably um, Lee Strobel, who published um, A Case for Christ or A Case for Faith. I forget what to call. Yeah, it. The Case for Christ. Yeah. It's like
1: this journal, investigative journalist approach to Christianity, which that was actually the book that I was assigned to be okay, reading yeah. out of in my assignment. Yeah. yeah.
0: So anyway, so he was an apologist who would have worked with Robbie some, and he actually distanced... The, so it, there's a 19-page interview in that book with Robbie Zachariah. That's probably what you were reading, yeah. I'm guessing. Yeah. Anyway, so they were going to reprint it. He actually halted the printing on that and is doing a – he's going to edit it and edit out those parts
1: um, in the book. Okay, if I can just jump in. Isn't this the same thing as cancel culture? No. Right? Isn't this – but isn't it canceling Ravi?
0: It's canceling. Right. I I think – I mean, you could call it canceling, but I think better term. And this this always flies up in in, um, disagreements over cancel culture and conversations around is the difference between what you're, quote, unquote, calling cancel culture and accountability. Um, You know, this was completely unacceptable, inappropriate, even, you know, as Russell Moore called it, satanic behavior. Yeah. But I guess
1: even what I'm saying is that's this when when the left or the Twitter mob cancels people, that's the same thing that they're saying. Right. Right. Right.
0: Right. Right. Oh, okay, I see what you're saying. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean
1: it's an accountability to something. Yeah. And it's it's your view of the good life, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. And and it's holding them accountable and saying no, like you do not get to participate anymore. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like you're you are no longer a valid voice in the conversation. Yeah. And I think that's what's happening to Robbie Zacharias right here and I actually think that that's what should happen yeah. to him. And this
0: yeah. I think would be completely appropriate and even if we want to narrow our focus like specifically if we're talking to how Christians should handle this. Yeah. Um Absolutely. Because if we are looking at, you know, who we are accountable to, um, or the kind of ethics we're accountable to, then, then absolutely this is all completely overboard and, and needs to be treated that way. Um, so anyway, so Lee Strobel's recalling his, he's going to take that portion out. Um, one other person, uh, so Harper Collins is the publisher of a lot of his books, um, HarperCollins. This was back in September when the most recent allegations first came forward. Again, um, they suspended all the projects and shipments of his work. Um, this is from that was from Casey Harrell, the vice president. Um, and following the findings in the independent report, the company will immediately take all of his publications out of print. We are deeply saddened and we mourn for the victims. Um, so that's how Harper One is is handling it. Um, And then the senior vice president, this was just more in general, but he just said, like, how to handle then this work. He said, potentially the gray area is when the nature of the scandal is independent of the content. Um, And then he says, then it's the reader's job to use discernment. So he Mm -hmm. says, each time I read a book, I am choosing a teacher and certainly their character, integrity and relationships factor into what I want to learn. So um, a few more, but I mean, that's it's it is a complicated um, question because. I mean, like, you know, James K. Smith, one of his things that he says about the cancel culture of the left is he says the thing that's missing that Christianity has is grace. Absolutely, um, yes. Which is huge. But I think, you know, how do you— I guess that was my question, though. How do you handle it for someone who has—who's um, dead now? Like, there's no moving forward with this except for helping <laughs> the victims and his family right. process it, all of which he kept secret from. Um,
1: I don't know what you do with that. To me, it— be- it becomes, yeah, I don't know what, I don't know what you do either, but it becomes difficult or maybe it's just like, maybe it's just my own issue here. Like just my suspicion uh, with people like Ravi, people who are these huge household names who are an image, like they're just such an image. Mm-hmm. Like when you see his face and you hear his nice Indian accent, like that's just an image of Christianity. And like, just to see how hard these things fall, it yeah. just, it makes you so suspicious. It, le- it does me like Ah. It's like I would I would rather I don't know, like rather just listen to the people like like David Finch, you know? He has a podcast kinda like we do. It's yeah. just like in the basement of a college and he's such a fascinating guy. Yeah. But like it's like they just don't have as much to lose. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's more um like decentralized. Whereas when you have someone that's just that huge and you're putting Kind of your faith in something that big. Yeah. I don't know, man. And
0: I think that's where I feel for, you know, the generation above us who this guy was like, I mean, lots of people came to faith through this guy. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like where you don't feel just a little bit shaken to the core when something like this happens, um, realizing that y'all were holding allegedly to the same faith. Um, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that's, so.
1: Who would that? who would these people be for you?
0: I thought about that before. One would definitely be Russell Moore. Yeah, if something came out the of this same about too. Russell Moore. Yeah. I that would be really hard for me. <laughs> yeah. Um another one would be NT Wright. I just couldn't see that <laughs> happening there. Um but those two especially probably for me. Um or Dallas Willard if it come out by Dallas Willard something like yeah. this, I think. Yeah, but I think
1: you? we well, yeah. Yeah, definitely Russell Moore. Um, I like David French a lot. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's another one.
1: And like like even like you, you think about like artists like John Foreman. Yeah. Like yeah. I've like so I've spent so much time yeah. with so much of his music. It was like if things came out about him yeah. that were awful, that would just hurt me so or, bad. Yeah.
0: For, yeah. Or like Andrew Peterson or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like things that are almost unimaginable, which I think I think that was the whole thing for a lot of people when they first heard the allegation against Robbie. Like it was just unthinkable. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but I do think that it's, yeah. it's the, that kind of scene is changing, I think, because right. if you think about our parents, it's like, what access do you have to like media Christianity teaching? It's like the radio and TV yeah. and only like the super household names are going to get on there. And Robbie yep. was one of those, right? But, like we have access to podcasts and you can find your little niche and people who are cool, yeah. but no one else knows about. So I feel like it's just different. Yeah. It's just so much less centralized. Yeah. 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 And I
0: think that's where I found it interesting with Russell Moore because, you know, he represents one of the biggest denominations in the United States. Yeah. But at the same time, like, I mean, the amount of backlash, he, he still kind of seems to represent what what seems to be more the guy you'd find, you know, like a David Fitch, you know, recording in his basement uh, or in the basement of the college there. Um, but it is, it's just complicated. Like, there's one Anabaptist theologian that I know, I've heard David Fitch talk about before, um, John Howard Yoder. But he had similar allegations come out after he had— I think he was still alive. I, I I forget. I don't know the details good enough. But it was similar alleg- similar allegations, not quite to the extent, but still very severe, as what Robbie was accused of. And and his was work. I was I really wanted to get into it and all this. Um, and I guess now I find myself a little more hesitant too, and not sure how much you know how much more I want to dive into into some of his works or or just I think it just puts for me it puts the difficulty of separating. The meats from the the meat from the bones. It's so much work and it's such a side project to the book that I don't even want to participate in it, if that makes any sense.
1: Um but yeah, I think this is a subject we could we could talk about more on another show. But um I, I think of the writings, Kierkegaard is someone that just really fascinates me. Yeah. But he had this this idea that the truth is never found like in a mob. The truth, Because it was like when, when that kind of mentality takes over, it's just that kills the truth. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the same idea that the mob will always execute Christ. Like Jesus did not come to win everybody in Rome over and to have a huge mob that was on the side of truth. When Jesus went up on a mountainside and taught, people walked away being like, that did not make any sense, yeah. and I did not want to be a part of that. And he looked at the 12 and he's like, are you guys also going to leave? And so... I don't know, maybe the suspicion about people who are that popular, I don't know, Like maybe maybe there is something to that. And it's not yeah. that we need to be suspicious all the time, but I just know that when Christ came and taught, multitudes were attracted to him, and he a lot of times left them feeling really empty yeah. because it wasn't something that everyone could just get behind real easy. It wasn't an easy image to jump on board with or share. It was like the kind of thing that most people just walked away from.
0: Right. And I think that's important, especially for Christian institutions, to get right now um just because there's been enough of them that i i think it demands um somewhat a different organizational um how, how we organize our institutions um and these big places to make them more transparent more trustworthy um you know to where it's i mean like Robbie had his elders there they wouldn't even take his or require him to get his personal devices or things and like i found
1: that. it super weird the elders were anonymous yeah did you read that yeah i did like they, it wasn't no one even knows who they are yeah, because like to tr- protect them or something. Right. Like, yeah. What?
0: So protect their reputations or something like that. <laughs> um, Cause I think like, I mean, that was some of the take that I saw that I fr- was frustrated with, you know, um, I saw one well-known professor say like, you know, for the skeptic who looks at a scandal like Robbie Zachariah, he looks and sees, Oh, how awful this is. Whatever. It's just terrible. He said for the Christian who looks at it, he sees, wow, I'm such a sinner. This could easily have happened to mm. me, and I think to me, I think that's a bad take because, <laughs> I mean, this it was just serial, planned out, concealed. Two hundred women. Um, this was only possible in a position of power. Um, so yes, maybe potentially, if we were all in the wrong situations, whatever. But to just say that dismisses the larger point that should be observed, that is, how we structured this with Ravi enabled him right to take advantage of countless women.
1: Yeah, when we investigated him, we didn't even take yeah. his phones. He was not yeah. subject to that. Did yeah. you listen to the Holy Post this week? I did not. Oh, shoot. No. Okay. Phil had a really interesting... He had a guest on there, and he was asking about... Um, he was talking about, can we judge people? What does it mean to not judge? Oh, okay. And the yeah. idea was, like, you can judge their ideology... Or their actions, I guess. But like you, you don't get we don't get to judge each other. I thought that was a really interesting mm-hmm. idea. And I don't know that it really applies so much here to something like Robbie. Maybe it does. But he even went so far as to say, like you actually, you know, as a Christian, you really shouldn't judge Hitler even as a person. What he did was terrible and his ideology is terrible and Nazism is terrible. Yeah. But like you don't actually get to judge the person. That's the job of Christ. Yeah. Or God. Yeah. Uh, we could talk about that some other time. That'd be a good one. I think um, we're. Uh, but for now, we're. we're
0: yeah,
1: out we're of time. actually. We went longer than we usually do. Yeah. So, so don't got,
0: forget the giveaway.
1: Yeah. Thank you guys for listening. Oh, there was the Mars rover thing. Check out oh,
0: the. Yes, tomorrow night there's a live stream. The Mars rover is touching down the Perseverance. It's taking over for Curiosity, was the last rover. And since and, this
1: comes out on Thursday, it's actually tonight. Yes.
0: <laughs> tune in. I think it's at 11. Or was that Central Time? I don't know. You can find it. It's from NASA. It's going to have Sending it out. It's really cool. They got live stream. Got a lot more cameras. In fact, they even have a detachable drone that will be capturing some footage once they touch down. So, check it
1: out. Enter in the giveaway. Just send us an email. Send us a text. Send us a message that said, I heard and I want. And we'll see you guys next week on episode five.